many times we ask God for something, we're like, oh, I really want this. But what he really wants, instead of giving us something, is he wants us to become something. Um, I keep asking God for an easier life. I'm like, my life's hard. Just make it easy. Like, wouldn't that be nice, God? Just make my life easy. And I think the answer he whispers back to me sometimes is, I want to make you strong so the things that you think are hard seem light. Rather than making your life easier, I want to make you stronger. I keep asking God for easier people to love. No, you guys are easy. But other people, you know, that are hard to love. I'm like, God, surround me with people that are easy to love. But I think God wants me to become more loving. And so sometimes we start asking God for things. And he says, what I really want to see is you become more than you currently are. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about joy. We're like, God, it's dark and cold. It's winter in Philadelphia. We need joy. And I think what God wants to whisper to us as we conclude our series today is, I want you to become joy. I don't want to just give you joy. I want you to be joy. It's like a child on a baseball team who is asking for the trophy for the best batter on the team. I mean, it would be great if the dad just went down to the store and had one made, even though the kid was a horrible batter and said, here's your trophy. The kid would be like, yeah, look at my trophy. But the real reward is becoming the best batter on the team. The trophy is just a way to acknowledge that, a way to celebrate that. And rather than God just handing us joy, I think he wants us to become joy. I think Jesus is always more interested in who we are becoming than what we're getting. He's more interested in who we are becoming than what we're doing, but what we do ends up affecting who we become. And a good life is not a life filled with good things. A good life is defined by becoming a good person, a person like Jesus Christ. And so in Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5, it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now, Paul makes a very simple command here. He tells them to rejoice. And he says the same thing in another letter that he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. He says, rejoice. The word rejoice literally means to rejoy, to joy again and again and again, to keep joying. That sounds weird to say, but that's literally what it says in the original language in Greek. And we've looked at how the Greek word, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, uh, was kara. And this, though, is interesting because it's the verb form of the word joy. So normally when we see the word joy, it's a noun. It's a thing. Here is a verb. It's joy in action. Joy is not just a noun you get. Joy is a verb that you give to others. So God wants to make you joy so that you joy towards others. So what Paul is saying here when he says rejoice is you need to literally, the translation of the word rejoice would be you need to joy. You need to become joy. You need to be joyful, full of joy so that it's overflowing in every interaction you have with other people. That you're so full of joy, you're not just asking God for joy, now you're a source of joy for other people. Jesus' deep longing for your life is not just that you find joy. I think he wants that. He wants you to find joy. But even more than that, he wants you to become joy so that people around you become joyful because they interact with you. So, the question before us this morning is, how do we become joy? How do we become people of joy? And that's what we're going to talk about over the next 
few minutes. I think there's four elements that we can find in this passage that give us some parameters for becoming people of joy. Now, the Bible doesn't give us formulas to do things. That would be nice if you flip it open and you're like, I want to stop lying. You flip it open and stop lying in chapter and it's like, do this, do this, and this, and then you're a truthful person. But instead, what the Bible does is it gives us stories and letters and poems about broken people and a loving God interacting with them and changing them. But I think in this passage, as Paul outlines how to become people of joy, he gives us some very clear principles. He talks about celebrating, he talks about community, mindfulness, and ultimately about becoming apprentices to the way that Jesus lived and loved. And so first, let's look at celebration. I think that there's basically two ways that you can live your life. I think everybody in the world, if we broke everybody up into two broad categories, you'd find two ways of living. You can either celebrate or you can complain. And we probably know people like this, that every time you're around them, all they do is complain. They always find something to be critical about. They always find something to be unhappy about. And then you probably know some people who are constantly celebrating. They're always finding something to celebrate. It's a lot more fun to celebrate than it is to complain but it takes a lot more effort to celebrate than it does complain. And I think most of the time we're pretty lazy, and so we lean into complaining rather than celebrating. Now, scientists once believed that once you became an adult, all parts of your brain stopped growing. But I was reading some interesting studies this week about how they now believe that there's one part of your brain that continues growing. They call it the joy center of your brain. And they say by experiencing joy, it actually stretches this portion of your brain and your capacity for joy grows as you experience more joy. They said it's fascinating. No other part of the adult brain that they can tell continues growing, but the part of your brain that registers joy continues to grow as you exercise it and experience joy. Like any good muscle, the more you use it, the joy center of your brain is going to increase and grow. Celebration increases your capacity for joy. When you celebrate, you're exercising the joy center of your brain. I think celebration is a spiritual discipline that teaches us to see life through a lens of gratitude instead of looking at everything with an attitude. You know, it's easy to have an attitude where you're just like, oh, that's garbage, this is no good, that wasn't as good as the original. You know, uh, people love to rag on Star Wars, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and it's like every new Star Wars thing, people are like, not as good as the original. I'm like, just enjoy the fact that there's lightsabers. Anything with lightsabers is amazing. As we look at the character of God, we realize that God is a God of celebration. In the Old Testament, God establishes a people, the Jewish people, in a nation, Israel. And he says, you're going to be my platform for my special person, Jesus. He was going to reveal what I'm like to the world and restore the relationship between me and mankind. And as he sets up this people, the Jewish people, he says, here's what you need to do. On your calendar, you need to mark down some days. We consider this pretty common today to have holidays and have days off and celebrations. This was a new idea that God presented to humanity. He says, you're going to have a day called Passover. You're going to have a feast of unleavened bread. You're going to have a celebration of the first fruits. You're going to have a feast of weeks, a feast of trumpets, a day of atonement, a feast of tabernacles, a feast of lots. God said, hey, I'm setting up a government. I'm setting up a nation. I'm setting up a people. And one of the things we need to establish right away is there's going to be a lot of holidays. There's going to be a lot of celebration. There's going to be a lot of feasts. The word holiday comes from the word holy day. That's how our first holiday started. We have days of rest and celebration because religion introduced that concept into our culture, because God introduced that concept into the Israelite nation. 
The natural human tendency, when I wake up in the morning, my natural tendency is not to celebrate. My natural tendency is to complain because my alarm just went off. And I have to get up, and I have to make coffee, and I can't find the coffee, you know, and I have to put on clothes, and I'm like, I gotta go into work. The divine tendency is to start every day with celebration. The sunrise is God celebrating a new day with our world. We're thinking and acting like God when we look at our lives and our world and we celebrate. We're thinking and acting like the worst elements of humanity when we look at our world and complain. Celebration is holy. It is like God. Every time we see Jesus in the New Testament, and this is one of the reasons that I love Jesus, Jesus is not this sour, dour teacher who walks through life and he's like, the world is horrible. And he's like painting a black and white painting and he's like, life, death, meaningless. You know, that's not Jesus. <laughs> Jesus isn't like this like a poet in Portland or something who, who sits there sipping wine and commiserating about how bad life is. Every time, almost every time we see Jesus in the New Testament, he is either on his way to a party, he just left the party, or he's at a party. Read through the New Testament. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell the story of Jesus. He's always going to a party. He's always invited to a party or leaving a party. In fact, the religious people in his day, this is their complaint about him in Matthew eleven nineteen. The son of man, that's what they called him. That's what Jesus referred to himself. He, he says, came eating and drinking. And here's what they said. He is a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know what that means? Jesus probably was friends with you. Isn't that cool? Like, I like that, that Jesus probably be friends with me. Jesus didn't come down here and say, man, this world, what a mess. Then he came down and he celebrated. Celebrate more. If you want to be a person of joy, make it a spiritual discipline to celebrate. Throw parties, go to dinners, practice the spiritual discipline of Sabbath. Now, we're not commanded to keep the Sabbath like the Old Testament Jews were, but you know what we are commanded to do? is to honor the principles of rest and celebration that God put into our world. It says God created for six days and he rested on the seventh. And I think there's something about choosing a day of the week and saying, you know what? I'm going to rest and enjoy the good in the world today. I'm going to set aside to stack pleasure today and rest and enjoy because God has put a lot more good into my world than I realized. Celebration will grow your capacity for joy. It will make you into a person of joy. Celebrate more. We celebrate way too little when we have way more to celebrate in this world than we think. So first of all, celebrate. Number two, community. Look back at our passage in verse five. It says, let your graciousness be known to everyone because Jesus is very close. The Lord is near. Now, what does this mean? Let your graciousness be known to some, to everyone. Um, some translate this, and depending on the version of the Bible that you're reading from, it might say, let your gentleness be known to everyone. But really, the idea of the original word here is, let your deep sense of well-being, your mild, calm, peaceful self, be shared with everyone. It says that you're at peace. As you're experiencing this deep sense of well-being, share that with others. Remember how we defined joy over the last few weeks in our series? Joy is a deep sense of well-being, even when everything in your world isn't going right. And what Paul is saying here in this verse is, rejoice, become joy. And then if you have this deep sense of well-being inside of yourself, share that with everyone around you. 
share this inner calm and this peace and this gentleness with everyone else. The next aspect of becoming joy is community. We must be in community and share our joy in community. Almost every time the word joy is used in the New Testament, it is the plural form of the word joy. It's not a singular word. It's not an individual word. It's a plural word in the sense that your joy is not just for you. Your joy is always for a group, a multitude, a community. In the sense of the Bible, the word joy is rarely intended to be experienced and enjoyed alone. Joy is always a community event. God always blesses a person in order to bless a people. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, longed to have a child. For years and years they prayed for a child. And God says, I'm going to give you a child. And they said, when? It hasn't happened. We're getting older and older and older. And finally they were given a child. And they're like, yes, we have a kid. We finally get to be parents. And he said, not only do you get to be parents, but this child, his descendant will one day be Jesus, a Messiah, a Savior who will restore the relationship between God and man. He says, I'm blessing you, but you're going to end up blessing everyone. And that's how God always works. Joy is not just for you. Joy is for you and the people around you. The fact that so often we're looking for a personal joy to enjoy as an individual may be the very reason that we're missing it. We're looking for a joy for us instead of a joy for uh, to share, a joy for everyone. We live in an, in, in an individualistic society. That's an impossible sentence to say. Easy to write, hard to say. Um, we want to be self-made men and women, right? We want to exist on our own, and the enlightenment, enlightenment says that we can do it by ourselves, and we can figure it out. We're self-reliant and self-fulfilled. But the early church in this society lived in a community. They couldn't imagine a world outside of community. Many times we can't imagine a world outside of ourselves. But they couldn't imagine a world without community because you couldn't survive without community. I think we become joy in community, and joy is felt best in community and through community. People of joy do things together rather than doing them alone. Think about the most joyous people you know. They're always people who love other people. The most miserable people I know, miserable people I know, are always people who have isolated themselves from others. Community is key to becoming joy. Paul writes in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. This is interesting. He says, become joy with those who are becoming joy. And he says, mourn with those who mourn. We might rephrase this verse in another way. If you are rejoicing, share it. It's too good to keep to yourself. If you're struggling, share it. It's too hard to handle by yourself. See, community multiplies our joys and it divides our hardships. Having other people to share when we're going through something hard makes it easier. But having a joy to share multiplies it. It spreads it out and makes it even richer and greater. Now, it's a cliche in our culture, right? It's better to give than it is to receive. And you're like, I don't know. I really like getting stuff. Like, what are they talking about? But I think there's a spiritual truth there. If you give away joy, you'll always receive more joy than you started with. When we give joy to our community, we enjoy joy in our lives. That's a weird sentence to say as well. When we lean over to pour out joy into others, God constantly springs up new joy in us. 
And the reason that we might be so desperate for joy and not finding it is we've been trying to hold on to it instinctively, trying to keep all the joy for ourselves when joy is intended to be shared in community. Celebrate community. Number three, mindfulness. Look down at verses six to eight. We haven't read these yet. Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses any human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell your mind on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The next aspect of becoming joy is about our minds. Paul is outlining, outlining this kind of next step in how to become joyful here, and he's describing our internal thought lives. You can't become joy if your thinking is wrong. He says your mind is going to end up like a rudder on a boat steering the direction of your heart and your emotions and your soul. By changing what we're thinking, he's suggesting that we will change who we are, how we're feeling, and what we are becoming. Have you ever done this, taken a hard look and said, who have I been becoming over the last five years? Who am I becoming? Do I like who I'm becoming? Are there things that I don't like about who I'm becoming? You know, I've started thinking about, I've almost been in Philadelphia five years. I'm like, has Philadelphia made me better? Worse? Are there outside factors that have made me better or worse? Am I growing more like Jesus? Am I growing into a person of love? Or am I harsher? Am I short-tempered? Who am I becoming? Paul says if you don't like who you're becoming, change what you're thinking about. Because what you're thinking about ends up affecting who you become. I was reading a study this week that the average person thinks over 10,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot. 70% of those, according to this study, are negative thoughts. You might be like, oh, that's, that's conservative. I'm probably up at 90%, you know? But I, I started thinking about this, and I'm like, just quickly in my mind, I'm like, that's kind of true. I think a lot of negative thoughts. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says this, you have to take captive every thought you think and make it obedient to Christ. Isn't that weird language? He says, you have to fight your mind to make it line up with Jesus. If you're going to think like Jesus, it's not going to come naturally. He says, you're going to have to fight against your mind. You're going to have to take captive. It's a war term. It means to take a prisoner of war. Your mind is fighting you unless you take it captive. Essentially, what Paul was saying is, if you don't go to war for your mind, your mind will conquer you. The thoughts you think are making you become the person you are. A lifetime of thinking negative thoughts, of believing lies about yourself or about God, will make you a miserable person. A lifetime of thinking grateful thoughts, about knowing truth about who you are and how much you're loved by God and how valuable you are to Him, will make you a joyful person. So I was reading another study about how long it takes to form a new habit. Most um, scientists agree it takes about 30 days to form a new habit. It takes about three months to solidify a new habit. So 30 days to kind of get into the routine, okay? Three months to start to make it natural. So that being said, in three months, you could train your brain to think differently. 
That's not that long. If you're like, I'm 30, 40, 50 years old, like three months isn't that much of my lifetime to take to change my way of thinking. Never give up something new you're trying before the three month mark, because that's the standard time it takes to build new neural networks in your brain. Once again, Paul in Romans 12, two says, don't think like the way the world naturally does. Don't think like you just normally do if you don't take captive your mind. But he said, instead, renew your mind. It's like pressing reset on your mind. You know when your modem's really messed up? Darby gave me this great example. Um, when your modem's messed up and nothing can connect, you're like, oh, let's just reset it. And then everything works again and reconnects. That's essentially what Paul was saying in Romans 12 too. He says, sometimes you need to restart your mind. You need to rebuild it. You need to tear down the way you've been thinking and build a new way of thinking. Now, whether Paul knew it or not, he was hitting upon something that neuroscience has now confirmed for us. It's called neuroplasticity. Now, I did a deep dive into neuroplasticity this week because I'm a nerd and I like weird stuff like that. And so I was listening to some podcasts. And if you think this is boring, you should go listen to neuroscientists talk about neuroplasticity. You're like, and then the brain begins to rewire itself and slowly over time you know, the synapses. And I'm like, you're talking about one of the most exciting, interesting subjects in the world, neuroscience, and you sound like you're trying to put me to sleep in this podcast. But essentially, what is neuroplasticity? Your brain is relatively elastic. It can be changed. And they said, your neural networks can be rewired based on the thoughts you think and what you dwell on. As one researcher said, neurons that fire together ultimately wire together. You can rewire your brain by changing what you think about, what you dwell on, what you focus on. If you constantly think negative thoughts, you're going to build your brain to not be a person of joy. But instead, Paul suggests something else for us. He tells us to build our brains differently here, and we're going to look at that. Another researcher says, we understand that it takes dedication to the gym and your eating in order to change your physical health. But it also requires dedication and discipline to change the neural networks of your mind. Now, I think there's a place for getting counseling and for getting medication and seeing psychiatrists and psychologists, but I don't think that most Americans are negative and critical because they need to see a counselor. I think they're negative and critical because they've wired their brains to think and feel and respond that way to their world. And what Paul would say is, it's time to renew your mind. It's time to build a new neural network. And so that's why Paul says here all these things. He says, this is what you should be thinking about to rewire your brain to be a person of joy. And he lists all those things. And uh, they all sound nice, right? Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. But what do they look like? And so I just kind of wrote them out as one, um, some ideas of how we could actually live these out. Think about Jesus, who he is, and how much he loves you. I was reading about this one guy this week, and he says, I start every day like this. I close my eyes, and I think of Jesus as a Middle Eastern carpenter with a beard. He's kind of sweaty and dirty. He's been working. And he looks at me, and he says, I love you. I died for you again today. And he says, I start every day from that place. I thought, I start every day from saying, stupid alarm clock. I don't want you to go out right now. I want five more minutes of sleep. But think about if you started every day from knowing that the God of the universe, he created everything, and it existed long before you were born, and will exist forever, was looking at you and saying, I love you. I'd die for you. I'd sacrifice anything for us to be together forever. 
Think about what you would like to see Jesus do in your life. That's petition, as Paul mentions here. Say, Jesus, these are the things I'd like to see happen. These, this is the growth I'd like to see. I'd like to be becoming this person. Think about every good thing you already have. That's Thanksgiving, as Paul says. So many times I think about the one thing I don't have. I'm like, God, I'm ready to be a parent. Where's that baby? This adoption takes forever. Where's the baby? Instead, I have so much to be grateful and thankful for, and I fixate on the one thing I don't have, and I'm rewiring my brain to be ungrateful instead of wiring it to be grateful. Think about the things that are true. This means you dismantle lies. And I'm not very good at spotting lies in my life because if I'm believing it, I think it's true. What that means is you're going to have some good people in your life who can tell you when you're wrong. I remember sitting down with a mentor of mine. We were talking via video chat. He's an older pastor. He's just wide. He's kind of like Yoda in human form. And I just, uh, I go and talk to him and I, and I say, I feel like a failure. I've spent years working on a little church uh, that I'm trying to build out of nothing here in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And it's not very big and it hasn't multiplied churches all over Philadelphia like I dreamed. And you know, I, I, I just feel like a failure. And he goes, how you're defining failure is never how God defined failure. You're believing a lie. I'm like, can't you just make me feel better and tell me I'm doing a good job? He goes, no, first we have to dismantle this lie in your life. And you need people who love you enough to tell you when you're believing a lie. You're not going to recognize that. The people who love you around you are going to tell you, no, that's not true. God does love you. No, that's not true. You're not a failure. No, that's not true. You haven't ruined your life. You have another chance. Think about the things that honor you and honor God and honor others. Paul says, think about things that are honorable. Things that speak well of you and speak well of God and speak well of others. Think about them. How about, have you ever, there's some people who just rub you the wrong way. And you're like, damn, I don't like them. They're mean, they're vicious, something about them is weird, you know. What if instead of thinking weird thoughts about them or angry thoughts, every time you thought of them, you thought about something good they do. It rewires your brain to be a person of joy instead of a person of Bitterness. Think about the things that are just, the things that are right in the world. There's a lot that's wrong in this world, right? The news reminds us of that every second because that's what sells advertising and they like money. Think about the things that are right in the world. There are things that are right. Think about them. Rejoice in them. Dwell on them. Think about the things that are beautiful. Sunrise, nature, art, music. Focus on beautiful things. Think about things that are pure. Things that are innocent. Things that are broken and stained and ruined by our broken world. Think about things to praise people for. Things that they're good at, things that they're spiritually growing in as they become more like Jesus. Paul says if you dwell on these things, if you make it a mental practice to flood your mind with these things, you'll actually rewire your brain into being a person of joy. And finally... The last element I think of becoming a person of joy is training, not trying. What do I mean by that? In verse 9, he says this, Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. What is essentially he saying? He says, hey, I've been following the ways of Jesus. I've been trying to live and love like Jesus. I've been trying to be an apprentice to the lifestyle that Jesus lived. And he goes, follow me as I follow him. That's essentially discipleship. What Paul is saying is, as I try to live in love like Jesus, follow my example. In fact, he says that in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. 
Paul says, as I'm a student of the way that Jesus lived in love, join me in following his example. Because Jesus is the most joyous being that has ever lived. I think Jesus lived the greatest human life that anyone has ever lived. And he invites us to be his students, to come and follow his example. By becoming his students or his apprentices of his way of life, he invites us to become his disciples. Now in Luke 15, 7, it says there is joy in heaven over one person who repents. I think God's the most joyous being in the universe, and I think heaven is a joyous place. In fact, it says heaven is throwing a party every time someone repents. What does it mean to repent? It means to change direction or to rethink the way that you're going. We naturally assume, like, I know how to live in love. My way. That's the best way to do life. And what Jesus counters is, my way is a better way to live and love. And when you repent, you say, you know what? My way isn't working. Jesus, will you rescue me from my way of thinking? I want to repent. It changes the neural networks in my mind and heart and soul and follow join in the party of heaven when you introduce the ways of Jesus to someone. You make heaven break out in celebration that far surpasses anything on earth when you say, you know what? I'm going to leave my way of living and loving, and I'm going to embrace the way of Jesus. So what do we do to become people of joy? We celebrate more. Throw some impromptu parties. Have some dinners. Share some meals. Plan a weekly celebration. What would it look like to have a day each week where you say, these are my three favorite things, I'm going to do them all in one day? That would probably make your week better. Think about if you're just like, every week I want to throw a celebration. You're like, well, it's not a holiday, Alex. That's okay. Make more holidays. Make holidays unique to you and your family and your community. Life can be celebrated more. Stay in community. That's the second one. Share your happiness and share your pain. Darby says, I'm an undersharer and she's an oversharer. You know, we'll meet a stranger and she's like, here's Ben Ark's journey from not being able to have children to adopt him. And I'm like, we don't know this person. They could be about to murder us. You know, I'm like, we should back away. Like, I'm like locking the car door and she's like, no, 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 we're getting coffee now. You know, um, I'm an undersharer. But sometimes we undershare and we avoid a community who can help us do hard work. Sometimes we undershare and we avoid sharing the joy that could encourage others. Number three, build a mental exercise regimen. Your brain is naturally going to think negative thoughts because that's the way that you wired it to think for however old you are probably. Design a three-month plan because that's how long it's going to take for a new habit to stick to change what you think about. Maybe it's just writing down some things and saying, hey, when I'm naturally just thinking, I want to go back to some of these things like Jesus loves me, my family loves me, Maybe it's some beautiful uh, photography you want to look at or some places outside you want to consistently get to so you can reset your mind. But design a mental exercise plan to think about good things rather than negative. Number four, follow the ways of Jesus. Maybe you've never become a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never reached that moment where you said, you know what, I want to become a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved. Jesus says that when we come to him and say, rescue me. My way of life isn't working. He promises to send his Holy Spirit to enable us to live and love like him because it requires supernatural strength. But we'll never experience the deep joy of Jesus 
without embracing the ways of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge to become people of joy. God, thank you for just this encouragement to know that I don't have to think the way that I've been thinking, that I can rewire my brain. Forgive me for so often dwelling on the negative things instead of being grateful for all that you've done. Forgive me for being a complainer rather than a celebrator. Forgive me for trying to live an individualistic, isolationist life rather than a life in community where I share my flaws and my faults and my failures, but I also get to share my joys. God, make us people of joy because our world is hungry for the joy that only you can bring. And you share it, you spread it out, you invite people into its richness, and we share the joy that you put in us and that you want to share with us. In the name of Jesus, I pray all these things.